there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money. I'm Gordon Whitehead, along with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. This is the second in our series of shows on estate administration, Ron, and we, we laid out in the last uh, last week's episode what a nightmare this can be for the executor. Uh, we sort of laid out some basic ground rules about good ways to diffuse some of the potential problems that can arise from a second marriage or from keepsakes and things of that nature. But you told me there are a couple of other real flashpoints that can set families off. And let's delve into those this week. And one of those is family caregivers. Yes, and I just want to preface this by saying that this is not legal advice. These are just some of the biggest problems I've seen that have happened over the years when especially kids are left to handle parents' estates and some of the ways that this has come off the rails. So this is just some general advice to help you with some of the biggest problems I've seen over my 40 years in the business and how to prevent them. So the, the first one that we want to cover today is family caregiver, caregivers. And as parents get older, it often falls on one particular child to become the main caregiver. And this often leads to a number of misunderstandings among the kids. And so you have two groups here. You have the main caregiver. In a lot of cases, that caregiver has essentially sacrificed just about the rest of their life. They've given up their career, and they've moved in with the parents. And especially when it's uh, acute caregiving, the kids are up in the middle of the night. They drive their parents to the doctor. They go buy the groceries. Often they even have to bathe them. And so the other kids often just don't understand the time and the personal sacrifice that this designated caregiver has made to look after the parents. And a lot of times it's geography in this. The, the family can be spread out, you know, anywhere in the world, really. And if the kids are, you know, one's living in Australia and one's in Argentina and the other one's at home looking after mom and dad, uh, yeah, you better have an appreciation for how hard that person's working. Yeah, and, and often... These kids also don't have an appreciation for the financial sacrifice uh, the caregivers had to make in terms of curtailing the advancement of their own careers and the monetary value that's been lost. And of course, even in your personal life, when you're stuck at home on evenings, you can't, uh, it's just harder for you to get out, it's harder for you to keep a regular schedule. That's a real sacrifice, and often parents. Uh, realize that sacrifice and they want to give an extra financial benefit to the kids that have been the designated caregiver and of course often that creates uh, different levels of reimbursement later on because the caregiver often the parents thinking they're reimbursing them for the time that they've spent and for the financial sacrifice they made, where the other kids don't quite look at it that way. They look at, at the, as the caregiver is having to sacrifice a little bit, but they don't realize the level of the sacrifice. And of course, when there's a fairly large discrepancy in the estate, often that's where tempers start to flare. And is the other, the other one is an appreciation of the burden for the parents well-being that often falls on the caregiving child if mom and dad don't have resources. Yeah, and here again, you know, you see of, of uh, kids that end up having to look after their parents. 
And they're not sitting there with their hands out going to the other siblings in the family saying, can you contribute because I'm having to, I, I had to buy a new car to be able to fit the wheelchair that, to take the parents back and forth to the doctor. I had to take half a day off work to do this. Uh, I've had to hire someone to come into the house that can lift the parent when it comes to bathing or it comes to doing a number of these things. So in many cases, the, the caregiving child ends up paying this out of their own pocket and they've never bothered to explain to the rest of the family that, you know, this has been quite a hit on their own financial resources. So keep receipts, I think, would be a pretty good idea there. When it comes time to settle the estate, you've got a little bit of ammunition to fall back on. Often the parents want to reward that caregiver, but it, that gets to be complicated, doesn't it? It gets to be very complicated. I mean, especially if, uh, if, if I quit working and I spent the next 10 years looking after a parent, and those were prime working years, well, yeah, it, that's pretty easy to figure out. You take uh, the, the, what you would have made during those 10 years and multiply it out per year by the number of years, and it gives you a monetary value of what you financially gave up. But how do you put a price on, well, I didn't get married or remarried because I had to spend time looking after after my parent. I things that I really value doing. I, I love to paint, I love to hike, I love to travel. Well those things you can't do. You've had to sacrifice them. And what is that worth? And of course, if a generous parent uh, puts a high value on what these kids have had to give up, of course the other kids are looking at that and saying, well, you know, that wasn't worth it. So here again, you can create a lot of friction among the have kids and among the have not kids. And I suppose the other one that can pop up is if one child is the caregiver and has access to mom and dad's assets, uh, there can be some uh, you know, shiftiness going on here where maybe they're leaking a little bit more over for their own financial gain and the other siblings are being left out of that compensation. Yeah, and of course, when the, this is where things get to be a real problem because you get a parent that has become financially incapacitated to look after their own affairs. And while the other kid is, uh, while a kid is alive and becomes the caregiver, then the parent is basically unaware that this kid is draining off a lot of the assets and moving them over to their name. Like if parent is living at home in a house, having the title changed so that it's in the, the caregiver's name and getting the cars in the caregiver's names, giving the bank accounts in the caregiver's names. So all of a sudden, uh, kids... Uh, they after the passing or near the passing they come and they find out that virtually all the assets have been transferred over into the child uh, that has been looking after the parents and of course that the gloves go down immediately and it's uh, into court they go. So I guess the best way to is there a really good way to nip these in the bud to start with? Well I think that what you've got to do especially if you're the executor is you have to get the parents to sit down and communicate clearly with the family. Since caregiving can go on for decades, you need also in there a bit of a formula that as conditions change, it also helps adjust the estate. And the only way you're ever going to get that is just to have a clear mechanism to make that happen. And often parents don't want to go near this topic because they don't want to create a controversy 
or frankly, they just don't think that their financial affairs are any of the kids' business while they're still alive. However, if you don't get parental guidance in this and have the parents laying out a very, very clear plan, because after all, it was their money, that is when you can end up with the biggest problems. Okay, the fourth area that uh, can be, well, very, very touchy is youngsters taking over a family business or a farm, for instance. Yeah, and this can lead to valuation issues if the family has been, or if the business has been wildly profitable beyond expectation because the child who is the partner in the business can have a much bigger asset base than the kids who aren't part of the business. So if, for example, one of the kids gets the business, the other two gets the house and the investment assets, and the business really, really does well, the business grows by five or ten times in the portfolio and maybe the house doubles. Well, that's going to create an enormous amount of inequity and that creates a lot of jealousy. And then on the converse side, where you have a business that belly flops. And so the kid that takes over the business spends 10, 15, 20 years trying to make a go of it. The business goes absolutely nowhere. And of course, they end up on the short end of the uh, estate when assets are split up because their part of the estate was the was the business and it hasn't done any very well. And even worse is if a business doesn't do well, often you'll get the parents sucking money out of the investment portfolio to stick in the business. You see the parents' other assets that would, should go to the kids that didn't inherit the business is being drained down to support the business. And this can cause, here again, enormous evaluation issues when the personal assets get sucked dry and there's there's just nothing left for them. And this is, I guess, there's a sort of a commonality here with the last area that we covered with caregivers. If you are one of the non-participants in the business and and you don't realize the, the effort and work that go into keeping the business alive and making it thrive and prosper, that can create some hardship as well. Yeah, and that is especially true if parents have turned over control of the business early. So control of the company happened maybe 20 years ago, and the business has outperformed the other assets dramatically. And so that a lot of times the, the kids don't attribute that growth to the, the child because often parents have backed off and it's the kids who've really taken that business and make it grow. And so the non-participating kids can become very envious over the success and the financial disparity it creates because they, they think that the parents were responsible when in many cases it was uh, new blood coming in and turning things around that really took it to the next level. Okay, so that kind of wraps up basically everything in a nutshell here, but I, I think we want to just review a little bit, Ron. Uh, really important to have a will. That, that's the first thing. And then if you are going to be named as an executor, make sure you know what you're getting into, right? Oh, exactly. And if, you know, we've given a pretty good outline in the last couple of weeks of some very, very big problem areas. So before you decide that you are willing to take over as the executive of a state, especially if you're outsider and you're dealing with a 
big family with complicated assets, you want to make very sure that you've sat down and you've gotten a good understanding of what the sticking points are because you know you can mechanically it'll take a lot of time no matter what you do because most of the states these days with all the government hoops you've got to jump through are just not that easy but if you have some of these sticking points which have never been adequately resolved and the parents aren't around anymore to 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 act as a referee uh, you can have serious problems on your hands that go on for decades. And generally, as we said last week, if you're perusing the situation and you see that you've got some of these problems which look like they're going to be creating endless controversy, it's probably not a bad idea to steer clear because there's no way you want the extended aggravation of getting into the middle of something like this. Okay, so that's a little bit about estate planning administration and estate administration as an executor. We did have a question, and I just want to kind of throw it out there, Ron. It was a question from one of our listeners about real estate as an investment, investment property as part of a portfolio. Now, I know this is something that you're well-versed in, so we're going to do future show on that, correct? Yes. In fact, that is going to be the next show is we're going to have a show on how to invest in real estate and hopefully we get a correction in the markets because real estate in a lot of areas has been an asset that's been in my opinion anyways in, in bubble territory for quite some time but we'll lay out the ground rules for you whether you want to rental property buy a rental property whether you want to own some international real estate whether you want to buy a property or buy some land and speculate on it, whether you want to build a property, uh, whether you want to have apartments. We're going to cover all this. And I think that I've looked at how much material I've already got. So it's probably going to be a series of three shows. Okay, that'll be coming up in future episodes of Making Money. Remember again, too, if you have a question, you can reach us, money at cfcw.com. That'll go directly to our inbox or visit our website, letsmakemoney.ca. And down there, there's a set comments at letsmakemoney.ca. Send the question. It'll get directed to either Ron's inbox or mine, and we'll be happy to address it in upcoming episodes. So back with a little bit of investment strategy on real estate in our next installment of Making Money. Ron Hebert is the financial coach. I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll join you next time. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.